0: All right, I'm going to introduce, so Pastor Alan Hawkins preached this morning and jumped in his car, he probably didn't say bye to anyone but his wife, and took off down here to bless us. Alan has been a tremendous part of my life. He is, uh, he's, he is my spiritual father and my pastor and, and the person I can call at any time and just say, man, these guys kicked me out of a church for preaching the gospel. <laughs> I, I, I was very honored to be able to come with him on a on ministry trip to England and listening to him Preach and teach. He, we, we, we often, obviously, in the charismatic movement, we, we chase people with the prophetic gift and we chase people with the healing gift. But what Pastor Alan Hawkins has is is, is a gift of of knowledge and wisdoms that I can say is can only be from heaven. He opens up your mind to to ways to look at the Bible, the ways to look at God, ways to look at the history and the story as a whole that is unlike anyone else I've ever heard. So I am honored to have him here. Can we just give it up for him real quick? There you go.
1: I think that's good. I might back up a little bit, so the, y'all. Are, I always call this the spray section. How about if I back up there? Is that up? That better? Uh, I guess a few of you I've met. Just for just to just so I'll have a frame of reference. How many of you have I met before today? Anybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you have heard me preach? Can I open that one up? Okay. Still still pretty slick. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> That'll be fun. There you go. All right. You got me on? Okay. Uh, like, what time do y'all take your nap? <laughs> one. One. <laughs> one. Yeah. That means you're good. You've had it. There you go. All right. Um, just a little bit more introduction. I uh, have been in—I've uh, actually been a pastor since 1977. I uh, began in ministry in 1975, so that'll give you the idea. Um, but I'm—but I'm not a professional minister. I'm a lover of Jesus. Okay, I get to do this, and it's fun, and it's wonderful. And and I'm 65. I don't have to do this anymore if I don't want to. Um, so I'm living in... If you ask me how I'm doing, I'd just say I'm drinking from the saucer. <laughs> All right? I'm in the overflow of life. All right? Um, the name of this ministry is Dwell, and we're going to talk about that. Let's just talk about that. Uh, I really wish... My wife was here. Their church calls her Mama Gail and um, she's taking a nap. (laughs) Uh, She and I got married in 74, did our first ministry in 75. And uh, I remember when I was in college, I thought I, I should try to probably do something, learn how to do something to fall back on. And I still haven't developed that skill. So, whatever I fall back on now, it's just too late. Listen to this word from Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So understand, instead of he saw it, him going to heaven, he saw heaven coming to earth. So let's start there, right? Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. All right. You guys know the word meta narrative? just means big story so I, a lot of times i'll use ten dollar words that have a nickel meaning it, mean, it means big story the bible is a meta-narrative the bible is actually um it's actually 66 books about one story and years ago i wanted to as soon as i got saved i got crazy about trying to understand truth um if people ask me why are you a Christian I, I always answer because it's true. Uh, the The other answer which is actually the bigger answer is because I met him like I know him. and who but I wanted to understand the Bible anybody starts reading the Bible, there's two experiences you'll have. The first experience is there's a real God and he's talking to me in this book. The second experience you'll have is this is crazy. (laughs) I mean, this is a lot of random stuff and a lot of. (laughs) But the truth is, it's actually just one story about one family. The whole Bible is one story about one family in search of one offspring. The Bible is, whereas you and I do. Um, uh, ancestry.com and we try to figure out who we are from from where we came from the Bible is is looking for the one who's coming from the very beginning very beginning when the Bible says uh, to to the serpent the seed of the woman is the one coming you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head from that moment And it says there'll be a a war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. From that moment we start a we start a genealogical search. We're looking through the genealogies. And this is why, this is why your Old Testament is obsessed with genealogies, who somebody is by genealogies. But 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 it's always like going like this. Okay, we got somebody born. Is it him? No, it's not him. It's him. How do you know? Voice of God. Next generation. Somebody born. Is it him? Not him. Him? Yes, that one. And then it goes on that way until actually the the genealogies like they submerge. Like you can't find it anymore. For hundreds of years you can't find it. And then we come to the New Testament and the first thing the New Testament does is pick up those genealogies again. Because they say, we want to tell you about somebody. Let us tell you who he is. And then they start telling us genealogy now once he's born guess what the Bible has no interest in genealogies ever again after that because it found the one that we're looking for so it's no interest anymore when you found him you don't have to keep looking all right so I wanted to know the big story of the Bible and I was introduced to all these isms you all know the isms of Christianity the, the, the calvinism the catholicism the the anglicanism the dispensationalism and and I ended up in the baptist I, I was in lutheranism for a while but I was in all those isms but all the while I was in them I was saying now what's what's going on here something's going on here how did this happen who are we what's happened what's the story I'm like Colson what's going on here man You know, here you are. What's going on here? Where would you come from? What is all this? Why are we here? Who are we? So I was doing all that stuff. And there was one theme of Scripture that I noticed a little, just a little, it kept kind of echoing. God said, I'll be their God and they will be my people. And man, that song sung inside my heart. But notice this as I read it to you today. It says, I will dwell with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, your pastor says this is a family. So what he's saying to you is these are my people. Some of your guests and some of your newbies and some of your wannabes and some of your what the heck is going on here. But, But eventually... You can become part of the family. You become my people. And that means we're in some we're in a covenant. Covenant in the Bible means family. That's what it means. People who said it means contract and promise. No, no, it means family. Because covenant is how you make a family. All right. So I started studying this thing. And now I go all over the world teaching the meta-narrative. And my church still has to listen to it because when you ever preach something else, pastor, I'm like, well, there is nothing else. <laughs> if you tell the story, if you tell the story, what you're saying to people is, this is who we are. When someone knows who they are, they know how to act. When someone knows how to who they are. They are able to act appropriately. If you don't know who you are. Now, I raised my kids instinctively before I understood all this. Instinctively, my kids, would, when they first started going off on their own, I would say, don't forget who you are. Now, the function of fatherhood is actually to tell your children who they are. Oh, something strange is happening in the world. Nowadays, we're like, we're like going... Uh, <laughs> we're going to let people discover what they believe, what gender they are. We're going to let people discover everything about themselves. Are you kidding me? No, no. The function of fatherhood is to tell your children who they are. That's the very beginning. When God made the man and woman, He told them who they were. He told them what they were for. He told them who He was to them. And then they got on with it. I'll promise you this... Ultimately, you will become the voice you're listening to. Ultimately, that's who you will become. Ultimately, you will become who somebody tells you who you are and it lands. So I don't have any problem. I'm like, I'm going to tell people who they are the 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 restoring up of the spirit of prophecy you know why it's taken hold so so deeply this thing did not happen until about the 1960s it was literally literally the nineteen fifty late 1950s 1960s when the gift of prophecy was sort of revived which means given breath in in the church again and It was because if you go back to the 60s, when I was a teenager, we like, we're trying to find out who we were. So God says, okay, I'll I'll breathe on you. Send the spirit of prophecy. You're going to find out who you are. All right. So so then that thing has just exploded among us, right? Well, people tell me all the time to say, you're such a father. If you call me a father, you're in trouble because I'm going to tell you who you are. Daniel Uh, by the way thank you for letting me be here I do love this young man I do admire him the gifts that are on him are not the gifts that I carry and he carries me with the gifts he carries I carry him with the ones I carry and him being me and me being him is not the point us being the part of the body is the point part of the family is the point so when I when And he said to me, I want to travel with you to England. I said, great, because this man has a way stronger anointing for healing than I do. He just does. He he has faith for healing. I got faith for all kinds of other things, but I'm kind of like, you know, a little recessive on that gene. (laughs) (laughs) Though I'll pray for you and you'll get healed. (laughs) But this guy will call it out and you'll get healed. I like that, right? But a long time ago, I stopped, I, don't, I don't have any problems with the gifts I have. I like them. I like being who I am. And because of that, people say, oh, you're, you're a father. You know who you are. And then they want a father because the father tells you who you are. So I want to have a church full of people who actually know who they are. And our identity is in him who begat, begat us. Now, Let's go to this thing like about dwell, because I'm going to tell you some stuff that's kind of strange that maybe you've never heard. And I say it's strange. It's really, it isn't strange. It's just you've never heard it. And I know that because I never heard it. So (laughs) maybe somebody else told you. I just got through preaching a series through Matthew. And so ever since I preached through Matthew... Here's what's here's what I've been doing. I'm not in another series, so one week I'll get, say, okay, I'm gonna go back to Matthew today, and then the next week I'll preach something else, and then the next, I'll go back to Matthew today, and I did it again today. And I did it on this word that is for you. Because here's what the here's the last words of Matthew. I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay? And that's my drop the mic work. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, I've grown up in religious groups, and here's what we do. We get together and we say, well, we know the Lord is here because he said he would be with us. And I hear people say that, but you know what I don't hear? I don't hear any sense of conviction. I don't hear any sense of, of, uh, you, of that. What does that mean? Most of the time when people pray that, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like, so we can pray. And most of the people who say that don't know whether God will answer prayers because they almost always pray like this. Oh Lord, if it's your will. Stop that. Pray from His will, not to His will. There's enough stuff that He's told you His will. You don't have to go searching around for the stuff that's not. (laughs) So when I'm with people who know we say He's with us and they pray from His will, then we're like, we kind of expect something might happen while we're here. I've got a young lady in my church that is on my staff. She was going through an awful time. And she said, Pastor, will you pray for me? I said, of course I will. What do you want me to pray for? She said, I want you to pray. I want to know where this thing that I'm being bothered by comes from. I said, okay, we'll pray. We prayed, and literally within five minutes, she said, I know what this is. So she said what it was. And I said, well, you you, you don't know that in the sense of uh, you've experimented and found it out. So let's just see. So 24 hours later, she went, okay, I've tested it now. It is what we think it is. Now, what it is is she's going through an, an oppression in her life. She didn't know where it came from. We prayed, and she immediately knew. Now that she knows where it comes from, she can deal with it. Now, that was a, that's a different kind of a gift, right? That's a, that's a different kind of... But here's what it was. It was an immediate answer to prayer. It was a God who says, yeah, I'm going to help you. I'm going to step in here. Now... When Jesus was with his disciples, there's some history to this problem. And the history of this problem goes all the way back, all the way through the Bible. Y'all notice I closed my computer, that means nothing. It's like when when preachers close their Bibles, it means nothing. So, So Jesus says, I'm with you always. Well, that's cool but he's about to leave I mean he's literally about to leave and I don't know if you know this but the problem in the Bible is humanity without God that's actually the problem that's actually the real problem We were made by him, for him, to be his child, to be in face-to-face relationship with him, to live by the breath he breathes into us. And Adam, he breathed his breath into Adam and he became a living soul. And yet, all, everywhere you go, alienation, I don't know, you know, I feel alienated from you, I feel alienated from myself, I feel, listen, alienation makes us fight each other, makes us, Divorce each other. Alienation makes us kill ourselves. Alienation makes us kill our gender. Alienation makes us us do all kinds of things because we're so alienated. And that's really the biggest symptom of being without God. Because we don't know who we are. The problem of Genesis... One, in, or one through three is this. God creates man, is in a face-to-face relationship with him. And I don't know if you know this, but I could go to some length to, to, to give you more indication of this. I don't have time with you today. But Eden was actually a temple. And it was the dwelling place of God. And in the, in the ancient world, here's what you do. When you make a temple, there were five or six steps that you would go through to make a temple. When Moses wrote Genesis, he wrote it according to those steps, those patterns. All the ancient religions would look at those first couple of chapters of Genesis and they would recognize it. There's similarities and it's no no problem. When you make a temple, the last thing you do in the temple is you put the image in the temple of the one you're worshiping. That's the last thing you do. You build the house for for the entity and then you put the image in it. God put man and said, this is the bearer of my image. Which means all of creation was to look at man, male and female. By the way, when I say man, y'all know I mean male and female. How stupid is it that we've gotten alienated about such things? Just more alienation. Um, I know political correctness will fail because it's, Secular fundamentalism. It's imitating Christian fundamentalism. And it's destined to fail because of that. Because it's all rooted in get people offended. You know a fundamentalist because they're offended about everything. You want to get rid of the spirit of offense and live by the love of God. Not by by your righteousness being how many things can you be offended about. That's not righteous. That's self righteous Okay, that's a, like too many aside sermons because I don't come here often enough. <laughs> and if I do too much of that, you'll say, don't bring him back. <laughs> don't bring him back. So the last thing you do is you put the image in the temple, and the image is there to reflect the glory of God to the creation. So what, what is my job? You are here to reflect God. You are here bearing his image to reflect him. Now the problem with that is the alienation we feel. So what do we reflect? We reflect alienation. Now, one more thing. Once God put man in the the creation, He did one more thing. He rested. Now, how many of you know God doesn't rest because He's tired? So what does it mean? It means He had a place to dwell. Sabbath, ooh, (laughs) Ooh. see, this is what I I want for you. I want for you to so be in touch with yourself as a dwelling place of God, a habitation of God, that, that the Spirit just overwhelms you all the time, okay? this is how you get refreshed this is how you deal with your depression this is how you deal with your pain this is how you deal with your fear is presence this is why on your way to church you fight like cats and dogs you arrive at church presence comes on you and you feel like you can solve any problem you leave church and because you don't know how to carry the presence you're back fighting you're saying what's wrong with us learn to live in the presence learn to be what you're made to be so anyway he does creation and then he when he says and he rested it really means he dwelt there he inhabited the space and so man's first full day of existence was a habitation with God was a day in the presence so God labored unto rest and we labor from rest our first day was let's take the day off be together with god that's the, that's the that's the gospel now you get kicked out of that space and now you're out of the temple and the whole rest of the bible is how do we get man back to god and that's and that's where and that's where you find stuff about by the way I, my mind's exploding. I want to do I want to do Genesis uh, three to ten, but I can't do that. Three to eleven, um, and and I want to pick up at twelve and go to the end of Genesis, but I can't do that either. So I'm gonna so I'm gonna jump all the way over, and I'm gonna tell you that all the way through that scripture, all the way through the scriptures, it's the story of uh, getting back to God. And so you're not surprised, for instance, when you encounter that moment where. Jacob, who is, by the way, just like us. I love Jacob so much in the Bible because he was such a scalawag. And because he's a man who's trying to steal what God is wanting to give him. And because he's a man who is so such a, such a cad that he lives his whole life going, are they, are they catching up to me yet? And he lives his whole life suffering what he did to others. And then all the while, God is just saying. And so then Jacob has this encounter, right? He has this encounter. And when he has this encounter, he says, well, that was the house of God. He names it Bethel. Bethel. That's the house of God. Now, he can go from the house of God onto other encounters. When you come to the New Testament, the experience that happened to Jacob at Bethel is repeated for us in John, but I don't have time for that story either. What I want to do, here I'm just throwing lights, like I want you to be like ducks and I'm going to throw bread out. <laughs> All right? Yeah, and you're going to go eating it up and find your way to the good stuff. But in the Bible, God says, we've got to get mankind back to me. And so he says, here's what we'll do. I'm going to take a family, and I'm going to use a family to build my family. If I'm ever going to dwell with man again, I've got to do it through a family. So he chooses an old man and an old woman who are barren and says, I'm going to make my family out of these guys. Isn't that a great thing? He does it, and then we have the chosen people. Now, we've made a mess of the chosen people because we think the chosen people is an exclusive club. It's not. He chose them in order to get the rest of us. He didn't choose them to keep us out of the club and make them exclusive. He chose them to bring us into the family. There's no hierarchy in that. Now, he has them to build a temple. Or actually, he has them first to build a tabernacle. And we know, guess what we know about this tabernacle? It was Eden. How do you know, Pastor? Well, because when they built the curtain, that behind it was the holy place, that curtain was the picture of the gate of Eden, where God put cherubim not to keep man out of the place, but to guard the way to the place. So when the people of Israel saw the cherubim embroidered on the curtain, they knew they were at the door of home. Beyond the curtain is home. Get this? Now, later, he, builds a, he has them build a temple. And I love this because Israel builds a temple. Oh, there's so much behind that story. And Solomon, who's a problem child himself, Solomon, (laughs) you know why God uses such messed up people? Because that's all he's got. (laughs) He would would use better people if he could find some. (laughs) I'm telling you this because you need to know God doesn't use you because you're good but because he's good. And God isn't pleased to use you because you have reached the qualifications. He's pleased to use you because His love is bigger than your disqualifications. That's why when when Abraham puts his wife in another man's bed, God tells that man, I've cursed you, but if you'll ask that man to pray for you, I'll heal you. (laughs) Are you kidding me? So Abraham, on his worst day, does the first healing miracle in the Bible. These are just things I find in the Bible. These are, just, these are just things that, because I spent so much of my life hating myself, even as a minister, feeling bad about myself, I finally read the Bible and found out that I was reading the Bible wrong. The Bible is not about how awful we are that's like what the world is about the Bible is about how wonderful he is more wonderful than our awfulness and so God says I'm going to dwell with you so he has them build a temple Solomon prays, Solomon the man who was greedy and idolatrous and adulterous he prayed and the glory of God filled that place whoo Now I'm going to take you right back to this passage here if you'll follow me. If you'll follow the breadcrumbs. (laughs) Israel goes along and they keep committing idolatry and they keep committing immorality and they keep sinning and sinning and sinning. And God says, you know, I told you guys if you acted that way, I was going to send you away. In other words, so Adam is created to rule God's universe. Adam sins and gets exiled from home God creates a new people the Abraham family and he says I'm gonna use this Abraham family to do what the Adam family failed to do and guess what they turned out exactly the same way and so God says I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna exile you and it's so fantastic God sends them to Babylon what is Babylon Well, that's where Abraham came from (coughs) I'm going to send you back where you came from. They go back. Now they're in Babylon. Guess what happened? The nation got destroyed. The temple got destroyed. The presence left. The presence left. Now all of life is about being in the presence so I can know who I am, so I can reflect who he is, so I can be what he's called me to be. I'm in great shape today because I came from I came from the presence to you. So I spent my whole ride down here going, oh man, this is easy. This is easy. Because I'm going from glory to glory. I'm telling you, I'm still the guy that life is bad, problems are my wife and I are going on about the problems. We get to, we get to the gathering, we worship, and we're in the presence but guess what I can do that by myself so I'll do my best to offend you so the other night I was like having a really bad time and I was really miserable so I went out on my porch and smoked a cigar with Jesus <laughs> you're welcome to get off the bus anytime you want to <laughs> and I sat there and the glory of God fell on me and i was like this is just as good as being in church. Because this is how it really is. God fashioned us. We're designed for one thing: to carry the presence. Let's go a little further. I'll make that, I'm gonna unpack that for you. So, you had a nation, it's gone. A people, they're in exile, a temple, it's destroyed. So they say. Gosh, he really does hate us. And the prophets went, who told you that? No, 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 we've been talking to God. And, and, and here's what God says about you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Everybody who's ever read Jeremiah 29 thinks it's for them. To give you a future and a hope. I wonder how many people sitting right here in front of me are disconnected from their hope and their future. Or even don't want to consider the future because their hope is gone. That was Israel. I want to give you a future and a hope. Now he gives them a future and a hope. Come on out here, guys. Come on. Don't be shy. Just make your way through here. At my church, the kids uh, play all and worship. They come in, they worship, they wave flags jump up on the platform and dan- jump up and down because we worship as a family. And they go to their space and have some stories and some cookies and learn how to heal the sick. Learn how to prophesy. Learn how to pay attention to their dreams. Learn how to live by the Spirit. All right. Learn how to dwell in the presence. We teach them to learn how to dwell in the presence before they're saved. Just a thought. Well, what do you want them to do? Dwell in the sewer? Dwell in the darkness? I want them to be so familiar with the love of God, they don't know when they didn't know it. Right. Or when sin comes and they go, wait a minute, I'm not home. How do I get back home? But just another thing. Another, another, other, other thoughts. Took me a long time to get there. Alright. But i got to get you back to Matthew. Because what happened? For 500 years, Israel was a people who were not a people. A nation that was not a nation. Worshipers without a presence. You realize that? And then if you pay attention to the prophets, the prophets said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you home in 70 years. God says, we're going home 70 years. And so when he told them that, he settled them. Because he said, here's what I want you to do in these 70 years. Build houses, plant crops, marry, beget children. He told them to settle in and live. In other words, he said, you're still my people. You're in exile. You're still my people. 70 years, I'm coming for you. That was the word, that was the word of Jeremiah. Now they're in exile, and now Ezekiel is. Ezekiel and Daniel are the prophets. Boy, do I love them. Ezekiel is the prophet who had big visions of temple. His early visions were this. The presence is gone. His later visions are the glory will be restored. And he prophesies both over them. But in the meantime, in the meantime, they are a people without the abiding presence. must have been a horrible time. They were lost sheep. Ezekiel prophesied about the lost sheep. And he prophesied about a God who said, I myself will come and shepherd my sheep. And along comes Jesus. Give me some time frame. Anybody suffering yet? No, I wouldn't do that to you. Now, I'm, I'm an actual pastor who's been pastoring a long time. I know there's a time frame. In the spirit, we all say, oh, there's no time frame. No, there's a time frame. (laughs) There's a time that they leave when they're still here. (laughs) And I care about you because I'm an actual pastor. I'm not a prophet. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a prophet or an apostle. I'm an actual pastor, so I care about the people. (laughs) The others Mm -hmm. do, too. (laughs) All right, so... So what the people had experienced was God was gone. But here was the biggest surprise. Everybody knows about the prophecy of Daniel. Nobody knows what it means. (laughs) This is just the truth. But what Daniel did, Daniel was praying about that 70 years of exile and he said, no, I actually heard the Lord say something about 77s. In other words, 490 years. And what most people don't know is that what Daniel was saying to them is something's going to happen, yes, in 70 years. But you're going to have to wait a lot longer for what you're really looking for. And he told them this. So they get back into their land uh, and, and Ezekiel actually also told them what was going to happen. Ezekiel told them, you're going to be like a valley of dry bones. And the way it's going to work is this. The prophets are going to preach and tell you to go home. And you're going to get up and you're going to get flesh on your bones and you're going to become bodies and you're going to be bodies without breath. Now, what did that mean? Why would, what does that part of, nobody wants to like embrace, what does that part of the prophecy means? It means that Israel rose out of their grave in Babylon went back to their land in Jerusalem, rebuilt the house of God, dedicated the place, so they became a nation. They were incorporated. They became corporeal, a body. They did the Solomon thing. They built the temple. They prayed the dedicatory prayer. Now get ready for this. Nothing happened. And the old rabbis knew this. And if you read the rabbis of Second Temple Israel, do you all know what I'm talking about when I say that? Building the Second Temple. The rabbis would sometimes talk about the difference of what life is like now and what it was like then. And they would always talk about what what the old temple had that the new temple doesn't have. And the one thing that they most highlighted was the Shekinah. We call it the Shekinah. The glory. The presence. The presence is not here. So, well, why was the presence not there? Because if you remember, the presence came when the king was enthroned. What do you mean by that? Well, go back to David. What did David do? David becomes king and he says, where's the throne of God? And David ceremonially brings the throne of God into Israel and into the tabernacle. And for the 40 years of David's reign, the the presence of God was an open experience for the people of God. And they worshipped 24 hours a day. And, they, and, they, and he dwelt with them. When they built the temple, it was just a matter of the presence filling the temple. Now whether you know it or not, what the passage I read to you about New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, If you read the description of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, here's what you'll find out it is. It's the Holy of Holies, writ large. It's the glory of God. And if you read about that place, there's no temple in the place, because the place is a temple. And if you read about that place, the temple appears to actually be a construction of people fitly joined together into one edifice I'll let you find those crumbs another day are you okay so 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 what happens is there's a temple that temple existed for almost for what 400 years with no presence the nation was a body with no breath People even say, 400 years, no prophet. And just, so, just to be sure you know, don't miss this. Ezekiel prophesied the glory of God will return. Zechariah and Malachi were post-exilic prophets and they said, it's not here. The glory is not here. Because it hadn't come yet. Now, all of this makes the coming of Jesus much more understandable. Did y'all know you were going to get an academic sermon today? You wanted to warm the cockles of your heart, and, and, you, and I come and go, let's go to seminary class. I'm obsessed with this stuff, so you're in trouble. But don't worry, I'll get in my car and leave soon. So, so... The nation is back the house is back but there's no king on the throne there's actually no throne but they had a promise you know what their promise was their promise was of Yeshua his promise was of a Messiah a coming one promise was of one coming now how are we going to know him when we see him well Isaiah told you how to know him Isaiah said the spirit is on him he said that in chapter 10 of Isaiah and then along comes John and John says I'm telling you about one who's coming I'm telling you about one who's coming I'm telling you about one who's coming and oh by the way his name is not Herod That guy's an adulterer and needs to clean up his act. And he's not our king anyway. This was John the Baptist. And along comes Jesus. And John goes, That's him. That's him. How do you know, John? I saw the Spirit. Now we're getting there. I saw the Spirit. I saw the Spirit. I saw the spirit. By the way, there's spirit has another translation. You know what it is? I saw the breath. Israel was a nation of bodies without breath. And and John says, I saw him. I saw the breath of God on him. I saw it. Now listen, you know Jesus was somebody John knew, he was his first cousin for crying out loud. Can we talk? But, but, but for the first time, John goes, I've never seen this guy before, because he saw the Spirit on him. Now, listen, when people study their Bibles, that's what, that, the question I have is like, how did he do that? Jesus didn't do anything. And now that I'm like living in the Spirit, I want you to know something, I can see the Spirit on you when I'm praying for people I often just go okay Lord what are you doing I want to look for what you're doing because I don't want to do what I'm doing because it isn't very good (laughs) if you want to minister in the spirit look for the spirit and don't assume you know how you'll see it because you don't know I'm imperfect I don't always see it clear but I see it I see him now John says, I saw him. I saw the spirit on him. And then he said, hey guys, let me tell you something. This is the one that's going to baptize you, immerse you in spirit. This is the one who's going to give you back your breath. You're dead. And he's going to give you back your breath. You were dead. I know you're walking around and living, but you're dead. I see dead people. I can see them too. You see them all the time. Now, don't miss it. Jesus starts walking around and people who experience Him are like, wow, what's different about Him? God is on Him. What's different about Him? He teaches like nobody ever taught before. He heals like nobody ever healed before. Demons are afraid of Him. They recognize Him. There's something different about this guy. What was different? Unction. The anointed one. Now, don't miss this because this is so important. Here's a nation that their God was gone and suddenly He shows up. And a small group of people says, we found Him. Because what John sees, we now see with our eyes. We see it. We see it. We see it. What did they see? The Shekinah. The Shekinah. The glory on a man, on a man, on a man. What did this mean? God had left us. He's come back. He's come back. Oh God, The King has come back. The king has returned to Zion. And they would tell people, do you, do "You know, this? could this be the guy? Could this be the guy? We think he's the guy. And then he says to them, listen, don't miss this. He says to them, it's important for you that I go away. <laughs> They're like, are you kidding? You can't go away. We've been waiting 400 years. It's important for you that I go away. And then, listen, he said, if I don't go, the breath won't come. If I don't go, the breath, it's better for you. And then he says, oh, please, this is the one. <sighs> I won't leave you as orphans. Amen. You want to know what an orphan is like? Study Jacob. Jacob was an orphan. Stealing what was his right to have. Conniving when he didn't have to. Acting like he was not a son. Orphans are people orphans are people who are always trying to be important when and everybody goes, Oh, please, that is so ugly. Don't do that. Orphans are people who are always trying to steal somebody else's glory. Steal somebody else. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah you. <laughs> Water is the other sign of the spirit. <laughs> so understand. When Jesus said to them I'm going away. And this was before the cross. They were in meltdown mode. Because he was the Shekinah glory in their presence. And they knew it. He was the king. Come back to sit on the throne. When you called someone the anointed one, you were speaking a politically insurrection term. You were calling him the king. Well, that would stir Trump up. Bad joke, bad joke. (laughs) If you called somebody the king, Herod went insane. So what did Herod do? Arrested John and killed him. Because he was, not because he called him an adulterer. He knew he was an adulterer. And not because his daughter-in-law seduced him into doing it. (laughs) He did this thing because he claimed there was another king. Why did Herod kill him? Because they said, this guy says there's another king, not Caesar. All right. Now Jesus dies on the cross oh, agony, rises from the dead, oh, glory. And then says to his disciples, go do all this stuff, I'm leaving. But the very last word was, and I am with you always to the end of the age. And then 40 days later, he snockered them with the Holy Ghost. What did He do? He ascended to the throne, not on earth, but in heaven. And if, by the way, if you're in the throne in heaven, you're over earth. And He poured out His Spirit. And do you know what it means for the Spirit to be poured into people? It means two things. One, it means heaven and earth are united here. Right here. That's what it means, number one. Number two, (laughs) it means the temple has been relocated. People always said, they always tell me they want to make a holy pilgrimage, you know. They want to go to the holy land. I'm like, not me, I'm taking a nap. I mean, I've been there and I like it all right. But I just want to be where Jesus is now. And I want you to know something. He's not more there than he is here. Stop thinking stuff like that. Now, I'm I'm going to make a few applications because this is going to help you. Application number one is, when Jesus said, I'm with you always, he was redefining temple, they just didn't know it yet. Remember, he told them, I'm going to destroy this place and in three days build it back again. And that was one of the charges against him when they killed him, that he said he he spoke against the temple, he was going to destroy the temple. Which, by the way, he did. What he did was, he said, uh, I will dwell with them. Right?
0: Amen.
1: By the way, do you remember what Jesus did? You remember what he did? John chapter 20, it's a fantastic moment. Jesus reenacts the original creation. He comes into a room and finds His disciples and says to them, Receive the breath of God. He said, Receive the Spirit. And He breathed on them. The same way that God had taken Adam, (sighs) breathed into them. Now Jesus comes to them and breathes on them. You know what that was? That was who I can heaven and earth. Coming back to heaven and earth, is right? Are you kidding me? Right here. You know what this means when you go to refugees? Oh yeah, man. Colson is like, "You're taking a long time to tell him an easy lesson." <laughs> you get it? It's not it's really serious so so the temple the temple is where we are individually and corporately you're alone you're still a habitation of God and you're still a majority and and it's so wonderful I love it every once in a while somebody will look at me I'll just look at them and they'll say oh don't look at me or they'll say oh I love it when you look at me both of us the same question why because because it, it feels like God is looking at me. Well, I didn't change anything. I'm just being what I am. But it's the glory of God reflected in the face of Jesus Christ. In you. In you. And so Paul comes along and goes, Don't you know that you're the temple of God? And realizing your identity as the habitation, the dwelling place of Jesus. Realizing your identity. You know what it does? There's two things that have to go away out of your life. Idolatry and immorality. And all the way through the Bible, you want to know how they learned how to walk with God, they got rid of their idols, and they got rid of their immorality. The worst thing that's happened to the Christian church is being co-opted by immorality. We're actually worshiping another god in our immorality and paul didn't say he hated them and they're going to hell he said just he said don't you know your body is the temple of the holy spirit you ought to stop acting that way that's why as a pastor i'm around people that are doing all kinds of stupid things all the time and i say well you don't have to do that anymore you know that <laughs> You can stop trying to find your fulfillment through sensuality. You can find it through spirituality. He'll fill the space, and you'll get well. My son, who was with y'all, y'all, y'all met my son. Some of you met my son, right, Anthony? Is one of the most obsessed young men with his chastity of any man I've ever been around. Did somebody teach him to do that? I think I suppose I did, but the truth is, he got rid of his alcoholism, and he got another spirit filling him. And then he said, "I have one obsession, Dad. I have to. Stay. I want to stay pure because I just want to exude Jesus, both for people and for a life partner one day. I just want to be pure. So when he said." I'm with you always. They didn't know what it meant. And I want you to know they didn't feel that great about it. But after the day of Pentecost, they never stressed out about it again. And Christians who know who they are are done stressing out about small stuff. Because the Spirit is in us. Now I get to go everywhere I go. I get to just bless people. I just get to bless people and I'm only here to bless you today I'm no different than you I'm a dwelling place for God the only difference is I might be more in touch with it because I'm so obsessed and I'm an old man the combination of those two things so I can tell you that what's in you you can impart to others and it's a funny thing because a lot of times Christians who come to fall in love with the fact that, that the, the Spirit of God wants to fill us, they will always say, oh, I want to get with that guy. I want his anointing. You can't get it. You can only get your own anointing. You don't want it anyway. You don't want to become me. That would be annoying. I would stalk you. You want to be you. Anointed, but there are many ways for us to activate the anointing. One of them is just to confess Christ as Lord, and guess what? Then He comes and dwells in you. One of them is to have hands laid on you, and then the Spirit of God fills you. I mean, Paul, who was very familiar with the presence because he was ushered into the presence, you want to know why Paul went blind? He went into the presence. He went to the throne room and saw Jesus on the throne and it blinded him. And then a couple days later, a spiritual nobody, so beautiful how God does this, went and laid hands on him and he became the most powerful force for the witness of the gospel the world has ever seen because a nobody laid hands on him. A man we hear of once in our Bibles and he prophesied over him and released the word over him. So in other words, all I'm telling you is we can get it directly and we can get it through the mediating ministry of other people, which is why we lay hands on people and pray for people. It's also why we just sometimes speak to people. Okay? All right, so now, Pastor, I don't know what your protocols are. I see you have the Lord's Supper elements back there. So, so I don't know if that's part of what we're going to do. Okay. Okay, so, so I'll touch that real quick. So you do know... I'm from a Baptist background, and Baptists do this thing, we kind of do communion light. But, but I'm now in a spirit-filled background, and listen... If you think that I believe that the presence of God can be mediated through my hands, how much more through the bread and the cup that's blessed in His name and carries His presence. And so what God wants to fill the temple. He wants to fill you. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to do something for you today. This is never again going to be hard again. You say... Because you know what I did? I spent 20 years searching for how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. There's not a how-to word in the Bible about it. It tells us what, but not how. In fact, there's lots of stuff in the Bible that doesn't tell you how to do. So I've invented my own way. Not really. Not really. I read my Bible and I realized the Bible says the Spirit is the breath of God. In the upper room Jesus breathed on the disciples and on the day of Pentecost the dead nation of Israel that had become a body without a breath on that day had the breath put in the body. And had the new temple filled. Pentecost Day was the filling of God's new temple. A habitation of those who were dead, Paul said, but now are made alive. And so let me tell you how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Set your mind on Christ and breathe. You think I'm messing around? I'm not. I'm not. If it's the breath of God, guess what? By faith, I can breathe it. So, when I'm in trouble, no, and I'm telling you, I do this almost every day. When the, when the, when the heaviness of... Because I'm a pastor. I want you to know, you get told off every day if you're a pastor. It comes with... The, listen, it comes with it. And it's not a big deal. Because, listen, I'm following a dude with scars in his hands. I can take a few telling off. I can handle that. Don't expect to follow a Savior that's got wounds in His body and not get dinged up a little bit. But still, I literally get quiet and just breathe Him in. And I want you to know His presence comes. Because I decided, Lord, if the Spirit is Your breath, then by faith I'm going to breathe. And so listen, being filled with the Spirit is breathing God, and going to the table of the Lord is eating Him. And so in my church I'll say, okay, today we're going to eat His flesh and drink His blood. And some of my non-Catholics get a little scandalized, and I go, taste and see. You get, don't tell me you can get filled with God because some preacher lays his hand on you you can't get filled with God from the elements of the communion one more thing and then I'll quit and pray for you remember when he said he came to give you a future and a hope the future and the hope was the return of God to the temple that's the future and the hope that's what he had for them wasn't returning to their land it was God returning to them now if you have a future you also have a past and I have noticed that the most detrimental thing for people walking with Jesus is their past We fill the office of counselor with, of counselors with our church members trying to get their past resolved. I'm not going to minimize your past now. I'm going to tell you how to deal with your past. Forget about it. You know, forget about it. Forget it. Why? Because he did. Because before he said, I'll give you a future hope, he said, and I'll remember their sins no more. Now, I'm going to go further. I've got to get you into this. That table back there is the place of remembrance and it's the place of forgetting. Because he said, when you come to the table, I want you to remember me. Remembering Jesus. The only thing from the past you need to remember is Jesus he's the one that heals you he's the one that was there when you were in trauma he was the one that was there when somebody beat you, hurt you, slighted you stole from you, he's the one that was there when you beat somebody hurt somebody, stole from somebody committed adultery lied, he was there and he says remember me he doesn't say remember you the torments in most people's lives is remembering ourselves The blessing I give you is to remember Jesus. He sets you free. The one who loves you and gave himself up for you and knows you and calls you by name and says, you are my dwelling place. And this is Jesus. Okay, that's longer than I intended to go, but I'm a visiting preacher. When I'm home, I don't abuse people. When I'm on the road, I always do. Because when I get home, when I'm home, I'm inviting myself back and I've got to behave myself because they can leave me. They can leave me. (laughs) When I'm on the road, you're kind of stuck with me for one time. Okay, let's pray. Why don't you stand? Not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is your day to be renewed in the Holy Spirit. This is your day to breathe. So right where you are, Holy Spirit, would you come? Presence of God, would you come? Right where you are, breathe and receive. Breathe and receive to as many